you're listening to a special podcast episode of Screening in Kingston. The following contains spoilers for Tarantino's Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to uh, another Screening in Kingston podcast. This time, it's all about Quentin Tarantino, specifically Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, but we're going to dive into some other things as well. Um, I'm Mike, uh, back again as usual. Um, We've got uh, a special guest with us. Andrew is back again. Hello, Andrew. Hey, everybody. Um, Andrew, of course, has been on several of our uh, podcasts uh, over the uh, the past few weeks, especially um, talking about Spider-Man, the MCU, and uh, and such. But now it's Quentin Tarantino. Uh, we both saw Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, so we want to talk about that. This is a big warning, though, to everybody. We are going to spoil the movie. We're going to talk about everything in it. We're going to talk about the ending. Um, if you have not seen Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, turn this off. Go see it. And then come back and listen to this, because we want you to, to listen. Um, but... Uh, we are going to spoil it because we were just talking before we we turned the microphones on that it, this is a hard movie to just talk about without revealing the ending. So we're going to go into it. Um, but to get things started, we thought we would just give our general thoughts of the movie and then get into it. So, Andrew, what did you think of Once Upon a Time in Hollywood? I, I really liked it. But it, as I was mentioning to you after we left the theater, uh, it was really weird. <laughs> yeah, it was definitely. a very weird movie. And like that's t- his style. He, he has a really weird style to begin with. But even for him, I felt it was really weird. And like you kind of uh, alluded to in your spoiler warning there is that every everything really builds up to the ending, like the last 20 minutes. Mm-hmm. Where, again, like similar to like Jackie Brown, it's kind of the same thing. But there was more stuff going on like action wise and stuff in the middle too. Whereas this just seemed to just be build up, build up, build up, build up, build up, build up and bang and everything sort of unfolds. Yeah. And it's interesting because, you know, now that we're into full spoiler talk, we can talk about it. This movie is centered around the famous Manson murders, which happened in Hollywood in in 1969. So you have that in the back of your head the whole time Mm -hmm. you're building up from, uh, from the beginning you submit it, you're introduced to members of the Manson family. This sort of like sense of, okay, we're building to something comes up. But I felt like the tension and the unease I had was self-created. If I didn't know anything about the Manson murders, if I didn't really know, or even if I knew very basic, because I'd say most people have like a basic understanding, but I still don't think it's like necessarily common knowledge enough to be like we don't have to think i don't think the movie itself really built that tension yeah no it's like you said like and it and it doesn't show you a whole lot of like inklings of what's going to happen Mm -hmm. so you're right the whole like tension that you're feeling is really yourself because you're like something's gonna happen something's gonna happen and it just kind of doesn't yeah you know and and you think you're at a point where okay tensions are gonna come to a head here like it's gonna it's gonna come oh okay yeah it's interesting (laughs) that again so now this is really full spoiler because we're just gonna dive into it the movie builds and builds you enter you're introduced to sharon tate you're introduced to the whole idea of where um leonardo dicaprio's character lives which is right next door um and then then what happens is is essentially the manson family goes to the wrong house they open the wrong door and there's Cliff Booth or Brad Pitt standing there high as a kite um, with his dog. And Brad Pitt k- kicks the crap out of the three of them. And, like, that's – it's an interesting 
it's a twist. He likes to do that. Just like in Glorious Bastards, he likes to take a historical thing and, and twist and revisionist history and do fun things with it. But it was interesting to me that the climax sort of felt not it's, – it's, it's weird. It's weird to say that it felt unfulfilling because a bunch of innocent people didn't die. But that's essentially how I feel. Yeah. Like I felt like – it took a moment in history that was very – I mean, I guess he did this in Glorious Bastards too. But he took a moment in history and went, okay, well, this like one thing happened that we all know where these three people broke into the house of Rowan Polanski and Sharon Tate, murdered her, her unborn child, and all her friends that were at this party or well, they were after a party. They were just hanging out. But this time, the there's like – it's almost like society's revenge – we get to see someone who we like kick the crap out of three people. Yeah. Um, it just felt anticlimactic to me. I mean, it didn't really, it's kind of like a movie that didn't really, I don't get the point of that movie. There really isn't <laughs> That's kind of my like, idea. Yeah, yeah. It, was, it was basically <laughs> Tarantino pulling the wool over eyes and going, ha, I gotcha, in movie in a way of a movie <laughs> yeah and it didn't ever and i never felt the same way it's so weird because i never felt the same way watching inglorious bastards yeah i never felt oh this is a build-up to thing because in inglorious bastards the whole climax of the movie is a uh, german film being screened at uh, a a smaller sort of movie theater hitler's going to attend mm-hmm. um and a woman who no one knows is jewish seek basically it takes the time to seek revenge and there's all these other subplots and like tarantino does everything culminates together these randomness culminates to one point um for me i think that because that didn't happen in history because this wasn't a, a historical moment that we knew Hitler attended and all thought, oh, wouldn't it have been perfect if he was assassinated? I think I didn't have the same emotion. So when it happened, I was like, oh, whatever. This is Tarantino being Tarantino. Like, yeah. who cares? Yeah. This movie felt like it, it's a historical event that we know happened. You're just saying, okay, what if it didn't happen? Like once upon a time, like a fairy tale, what if this didn't actually happen? But I felt like it, it lacked power in a way because Sharon Tate then had no purpose in this movie. Like, Margot Robbie's character served no discernible purpose in the entire film. And we spent at least 30 minutes total with her. Yeah. If you accumulate everything together. So that's what was weird. That's to me what I was – it was a because I have the same feeling coming to the theater. I was entertained by this movie. But it, I don't, it doesn't mean it's good. Yeah. <laughs> I was just entertained by it. It doesn't mean it's necessarily good. So I, I thought it was very strange that he decided, okay, not only is Sharon Tate not going to get murdered – the Manson family people are going to go to the wrong house or at least a different house. They're going to get in a fight with Brad Pitt. Brad Pitt's going to brutally murder two of them. And then in a kind of funny, cool moment, Leonardo DiCaprio is going to burn the third one with with his uh, flamethrower that he used in a movie <laughs> before. <laughs> like, you know, it, again, it, I think it would have had almost more – power if if they were invited to Sharon Tate's house and all of them got to do this and she was involved in beating the crap out of these people I I agree yeah I think they really just took her out of the whole equation and yeah like we spent like there was complaints about some of the early critics that she wasn't in it a whole bunch and was kind of wondering why she took the role Mm -hmm. and everything so like I was kind of expecting her to be not the focal point, mm-hmm. but she, you're right. Like they kind of just took 
the part of history that of, of that story with, with her and just was like yeah d- just go over here we're not going to worry about it don't you think they could have done this movie now they would have had to do something different with the end like a, a sort of different climax but a, a more traditional film would have had some sort of emotional climax between Leonardo DiCaprio and Brad Pitt um, but I feel like the story itself could have happened without the Manson murder stuff as a part of it could have been yeah. set during the same timeline. They could have done little hints that, oh, this is about something on the same block, but you never see the incident that happens. But because the story was essentially about these two, a Hollywood actor and a Hollywood stuntman trying to find themselves and a stuntman really being exiled for a lot of his bad past. But this friendship that's formed between these two people, that's yeah. essentially what it's about. It, it, you know, Leonardo DiCaprio has nothing whatsoever to do with the Manson family in no. this movie. There's zero connection like to him. He doesn't even know Sharon Tate until the very end no. after everything yeah. happens. Yeah. That's, he literally meets her then. Yeah, he meets her right at the end of the movie. Yeah. And and I think it's interesting that, you know, I, I liked it because of the beginning of the movie and, and throughout it, as they were connecting Brad Pitt's character to the Manson family. He knew the guy... Um, who basically owns the property that all those people are s- staying at. Mm-hmm. He meets a girl that he picks up on on the street to drive and, and she brings her to the, like, the ranch. So those things were cool and eerie and interesting and like that was kind of a cool moment. But to not see it really pay off in, in, in any way, it, only because Brad Pitt's character is so high at the end. Yeah. It almost demeans when he recognizes them. Because, I mean, it throws comedy into it. It was very funny. I yeah. laughed. Yeah. It's hilarious. I thought that Brad Pitt did a great job in that moment. Like, the thing about Brad Pitt that I think is really good that's underrated about him is he's such a good, subtle actor. Mm. He doesn't have to overact or do too much to, like, get what's going on for him. Yeah. yeah. And, again, it was a brilliantly written scene. But... Yeah, even this just proves that great writing, really comedic moments can just still be the wrong things. Like maybe it was just the wrong thing to do at the time. Yeah, I th- I think you you touched on it pretty well when you said like if we just excluded the whole Charles Manson thing because it could have been just exactly the way it portrayed out. Yeah. You know, Leo DiCaprio's standing in his kitchen making margaritas, some loud-ass cars outside. Yeah. Yep. It disturbs them. It could have literally just been anybody. Anybody. And they could have made them just some, you know, yeah. ruffians. Yeah. And then they do the exact same thing. They come, oh, well, I'm going to teach this guy a lesson. Yeah, exactly. And it would have had the same effect. Yep. And, it, and it actually might have even been a little bit stronger because Leonardo DiCaprio's sort of character has been struggling with who he is and that idea of being kind of uppity in Hollywood and being sort of higher than others mm-hmm. gets him in trouble. Yeah. Like that would have been exactly what you're saying would have been to me a very interesting way to end this movie is he, because he's so um, worried about his own pleasure at the moment and he's he's super drunk and he's he's annoyed by someone's loud car on what should be a private road. He goes out and yells at them. Those people decide to get in a fight with him. Brad Pitt saves him. You still can have the moment of like, you're a good friend at the end, which is like the last line they say to each other. And then he meets Sharon Tate after all the commotion. And then maybe the murders happen weeks later. I don't know. But like, to me, it's interesting that they, that he chose to almost shoehorn something in to, to add tension that we only create for ourselves. To me, that's a little lazy because yeah. we even talked to so Matt Salton, who people know from this program, came to see this movie with us. And that's one of the things that Matt said is that that having the Manson murders added uh, a sense of unease and anticipation throughout the whole movie. I agree with that, but not because of the script. Hmm. Yeah. I don't think Tarantino did anything to build our tension. 
it, it wasn't enough. I think you needed to make the, the maybe spend more time with this family, make them creepier and weirder. I don't know. If you honestly went in with very little understanding of the Manson family and what happened, I don't think you would have felt any tension. You might have been un- well, uneasy. I, I admittedly don't know a whole lot about it, but I still felt the same way. Like, yeah. Like, oh, because oh, I you know at least knew it happened. You knew it happened. Exactly. So exactly. I was expecting, you know. Yeah this to happen and then yeah. something else did but imagine someone watches this movie doesn't know what the manson murders are doesn't know what the manson family is i don't think they would have they would have felt to, felt weird on the ranch because it was creepy it was creepy and weird but in a in a random unsettled way where i think you never like there were moments where i'm like i feel a little bit un, unsafe for for brad pitt in this moment like i felt that sense of unease where i feel like maybe he's in danger here and maybe him walking around and being overconfident is not the good thing like what if they pull a weapon on him but aside from that i don't feel like that tension existed anywhere else in the movie including in the build-up yeah because i don't think we revisited it i don't think he built on it i did like the the focal point around uh what was leo decap's character's name um i might not remember yeah i don't know why cliff booth for the other character sticks in my head more but um they say oh, they, Dalton. Uh, yeah, Rick Dalton. Rick Dalton. That's it. Yeah. yeah. The whole story of Rick Dalton and his struggling acting career, um, especially in that whole timeline that they chose yes. with the, you know, the, the late 60s, because it was the real, you know, the Westerns are dead. Yeah. You know, they would say absolutely beaten horse. Absolutely. It's beaten horse. <laughs> <beating> horse. Um, <laughs> so um, they're, they're moving on to other things. Exactly. But this, he's sort of stuck in and grabbing onto this, you know, golden age of Westerns. Yeah. And he. He's just not working for him. I really like that. And yeah. that actually was the part of the movie I didn't think I was going to like going yeah. into it. But I really did. They did a really good job of of uh, showing that off. And I really felt that I, even though the movie was like an hour too long, in my opinion, mm-hmm. um, but they should have even just did a little bit more at the end after he meets Sharon Tate. Maybe he gets to re- meet Polanski as well. Yep. Yep. And maybe that gets him yep. a, a role that yep. sort of helps get his career going again. Yeah. Because... That, I felt even with that, there was no payoff on that. Like he had that one really good scene in the um, show that he was recording, Lancer, I think it was called. Yeah, Lancer. Yeah. Um, he had that like um, Hamlet-esque moment uh, and it was really good. And then he goes off to Italy, does four spaghetti westerns in six months, which is insane. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then comes back and then all this happens. Yeah. Like they kind of just left yeah. that all behind. And I'm not really sure why there was so much buildup to that. And then they just kind of okay, well, we're just going to go off in this other direction. Yeah, it seemed like they, it seemed very, yeah, it it seemed just, even though this, I know this is 100% wrong, it just didn't seem well thought out. I know Quentin Tarantino of every writer ever is the most well thought out and he sits down and does it, but I think it's whatever his intentions were, are not really as relevant because the execution I don't think was there for me. Like whatever his meanings were, because I'm seeing that a lot with with movies recently that I've been seeing and reviewing at the screening room that are kind of weird. The authors and the artists behind it and the directors have intentions. Mm -hmm. I don't think they're just hitting for me. Mm -hmm. And if they don't hit for me, yeah, they might hit for somebody else. But when I, as someone who goes to see a lot of movies, I'm starting to pick out when things are nonsensical and that's exactly I, I felt I feel like I felt the exact same way you did I felt that watching the career and even just the acting and charisma of Leonardo DiCaprio and Brad Pitt was way more interesting to me mm. than anything that was going on with Sharon Tate and anything that was going on 
to the Mance thing, especially if you're going to build her up and spend some time with her. Not a lot, but some. Yeah. And then no payoff in the end. Mm-hmm. No redemption, no anything. She's she's almost unimportant in, in the movie, which I think is a bit of a mistake. It's a waste. Yeah, it's a real waste. And I don't get I don't get it. I don't I don't get what was the point of including her and including the Manson murders in this. Like I think the point because at the end of the movie you gotta think, okay, what where are our characters now and what happens? So Leonardo DiCaprio gets to meet Sharon Tate. Probably will eventually meet Ronald McPlansky. So that's good. Like, that's a good character thing for him. Um, Cliff Booth has proven once again his friendship towards uh, Rick Dalton and that friendship stronger than it's ever been. Yeah, Rick Dalton was going to fire yeah. uh, Cliff and main, mainly just main, for money. And may not now. And may not now. May not need to because yeah. he might get a good acting. Yeah. So those things are great, but you didn't. Again, you didn't need the Manson murder. It could have been three jerks in a car who decided to try to beat up Leonardo DiCaprio and then Brad Pitt helps him. It's funny we keep calling them the Manson murders because there really wasn't any murders. No, there was no other than three people who tried to commit the murders. Like it just flipped it so the Mansons got killed. Um, But yeah, it's – it just – a movie that entertained me for sure and I definitely enjoyed it. And it's it would be in the middle. We're going to do our lists in a few minutes about uh, where we rank Tarantino movies. For me, it would be like in the middle. It's like, yeah, it's good. It's fine. Mm. But there are much there. There are better films that he's done. There's better films that each of these actors have done. I just think for me, it it didn't do what whatever the intention was. I don't think it hit upon it for me in terms of why you'd include the Manson murder. I think the intention of the films otherwise was clear. We got a good taste of what Hollywood used to be like. It was a really great – cinematography was great. The production quality of this movie was great. But yeah, I just think that story-wise it just didn't fit. I really, really liked when they inserted Leo DeCap in the um, Steve McQueen scene. Yes, yeah, in in that movie. um, I can't remember the The one. The Prisoner. The Great Escape, yes. Yeah. Yeah. That was really well done. And I really liked um, the actor they had play Bruce Lee, who does the the scene he did with uh, with Brad Pitt's character where they're they're talking about fighting and, and karate and stuff. I thought that was really good. Yeah, yeah. And it, it also shows that this is also a bit of an alternate universe because Brad Pitt manhandles Bruce Lee. <laughs> yes, yeah. <laughs> I don't think anybody in the world in Bruce Lee's time could manhandle Bruce Lee. So. No, but again, it, a, a very interesting sp- think of what people would have thought of Bruce Lee when he came over because at, at this time this is exactly what was happening right. like you were starting to see influences from other cultures Bruce Lee was over in Hollywood um, it was very interesting to kind of see that um, and that's again that seems very funny it was yeah. very interesting um, but again you know at least those little I, I liked that here's a little tidbit of reality with a little bit of an alteration on mm-hmm. it. Here's Bruce Lee and a little thing that probably didn't happen. If they'd done that with Sharon Tate and Roman Polanski and the Mansons, that would have been fine. I mean, even keep even keep Charlie Manson in the movie for the five seconds you see him. Keep Brad Pitt visiting the whatever. But why connect it at the end in this way when it had nothing to do with anything? It was just so, to me, it was so pointless. It was, I need a third act, climax. People are going to love this. I'm Tarantino. Let's have a bloody fight. Yeah, and like even the reasoning for the for the Manson family guys to to go was really convoluted and weird, and it's, wasn't the real reasons. No, no, like was not based. That was not based in reality. Yeah, and like it would have been more realistic if they were there literally to find yeah Cliff, and they went to the wrong house. Yeah, <laughs> like like that's the whole reason. So from what I understand, there's like multitudes of reasons. Like Charlie Manson was obsessed with that house that they that Sharon Tate and Roman Polanski lived in, but Charles Charles Manson was was involved in Hollywood and movies. Hmm. He was, I believe, some sort of tech. 
person or key grip or some sort of whatever behind the scenes person but he but he did write and he tried to get things done and he had a very not good relationship with these type Hollywood types Mm -hmm. and all of that is gone yeah none of that's in here whatsoever so it was just a very odd it was an odd thing where I I liked what Tarantino was doing throughout the movie until the end and I also I agree with you that the movie was too long but I didn't have a problem with the pacing though I still thought the pacing was okay and I wasn't there was only one scene where I went, what are we doing here? And that was when they were the very long, long scene from the movie he was filming where they you pretty much see a whole movie sequence, not the Hamlet bit, but before he screws up the line and gets upset at himself. Oh, yeah, yeah, We yeah. see like five minutes yeah. of this movie. Yeah. And it was five minutes too, mu- too long. Like yeah. it was so long to get to the point where he gets screwed up because he messed up a line. Yeah, I agree. Um, yeah, that was that, that was the only part where I was like, that would be like a watch check moment for me, where I'm like, what <laughs> are we still doing here? Um, but for the rest of it, like the pacing, I thought was fine. Again, this is a movie where I'm just sort of I'm so middle ground on that. I agree, I, yeah. If I had a rating system at a ten, it'd be like it's a five. It's enjoyable enough to to you know turn on. I don't know if I'd rush out to see it, but. You know, yeah, it's definitely worth seeing, but at the same time, it could have been so much better. Yeah, definitely, they could have I been so many agree. things added in or omitted that would have made it yeah. so much better. And yeah. That's kind of unfortunate. So yeah, that's pretty much our thoughts on on Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Uh, the full sort of spoiler talk. If you're listening out there and you have a thought on the movie, maybe you really enjoyed this, or you felt that uh, you disagree with Andrew and I, let us know. You can always email screening and Kingston at screening and Kingston at gmail.com. Find us on social media: Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. Feel free to send us just a message. Um, we'd love to uh, chat more with you and answer your questions about the movie. But yeah, that's pretty much how we felt about Once upon a time in Hollywood. Um, and in, it's not, it was, I will say it was nice to go back to Quentin Tarantino. It's yeah. been a while. It's been a couple of years. I haven't, cause I saw the hateful eight in theaters and that would be the last Quentin Tarantino in, in theaters movie that I saw. And then, and then glorious bastards before that. So I, it was nice to kind of go back to it. Um, but yeah, it was a very, very strange movie. And, and that's, it makes sense that we have strange mixed feelings about it. It really does. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, maybe that's what his intention was. Who knows? Maybe. That's a very weird thing. Um, but anyway, we want to talk about Quentin Tarantino as well on this podcast. So we're just going to talk about his his career and some of the films. So Andrew and I put together um, what we sort of would rank his movies that have come out so far. Um, I don't know if you put Once Upon a Time in Hollywood in your rank at all. I, I did. did. Okay, I did as well. Okay. So he, he claims he has nine films because yeah. he put Kill Bill 1 and 2 as as – Two, and then because Grindhouse was sort of that two-parter thing and he was like a part of direct Death Proof is really his. Mm-hmm. So Death Proof's kind of included in this list. We didn't include other guest things like Sin City. He yeah, had a guest directing yeah, one scene in. We didn't include that. Um, so just so people know, these are the nine films that he is saying, I have written and directed these. Fun fact, I actually went on IMDb to make sure that I had watched all of them. Mm-hmm. And he has 21 directing credits. Because he does so many other little things. things. Yeah, guest things. Yeah, way more than yeah. I thought. So oh, for sure. Fun fact. Um, okay, so let's, uh, let's go. We'll both go nine down to one. So we'll start with our least favorite and go back. So, so num- what's number nine on your list? What's your least favorite film? Number nine on my list has not necessarily to do as much with the movie as, as much as that I haven't seen it since. Yep. It's Death Proof. Death Proof. There you go. <laughs> um, I saw it when it first came out, maybe, well, I would say uh, when it was released on video when it first came out. 
and uh, it wasn't very memorable for me, and I couldn't find a copy of it to watch before this podcast. So just because I don't really know much about it, I'm going to rank that as. And it and it wasn't that memorable to you on the first watch, so that makes sense. That's the one with the 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 crazy car. That the car, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I remember a bit about it, but yeah. Um. So my number nine is extremely. It's going to be not popular. Okay. With you or anyone else is the number nine. It's it's Django Unchained. Okay. So I will admit one thing. I have not watched this movie all the way through, but I have attempted on I have count I went back and counted six separate occasions Oof. to watch this movie and I cannot get through it. Is there a reason? Um I've been trying to search for a reason. I don't know, but for whatever reason, it just doesn't sit well with me, the whole movie. I even, like, I get, sometimes I get farther every time, sometimes I don't. Like, and I've gotten to the big scenes. Like, I've seen the Leonardo DiCaprio scene mm-hmm. where he hurts his hand. Um, you know, I think he's, Leonardo DiCaprio's a great actor. I just don't, I don't know. For whatever reason, the things that other people say about this movie that that glorifies it in a way, kind of, I don't like particularly like uh, to me what makes Leonardo DiCaprio a really good actor is his role in in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood and some of these other roles where he he is very good at being subtle at the right times big at the right times he accidentally cut his hand and because he didn't stop he su- it's suddenly a glorious scene it's not it's fine it's the same it's a good scene but it's not that big yeah. of a deal that he accidentally cut his hand and kept going like that's not a big deal so i don't know if it's because people hyped it up so much i don't know but i just cannot get to the end of this movie and i've gotten far like i think i've i've my last attempt to watch it, I think I got to within the last 15 minutes or so and was still like, it I is another long done. one. It's like yeah. two, two hours. Minutes, um, so yeah, um, for me, it has to be Django. <laughs> I do have two problems with that movie. Mm-hmm. Um, I liked it overall, but uh, there is two problems that I have with it. Uh, one is the number of uh, N word drops. Yeah. There's a lot. I get the time setting. There's a lot, but it still seems excessive. Yeah. Like, I actually believe it. I was I watched the first half of it uh, this morning because so, I, I yep. wanted to have a little bit of brush up on it, and uh, yeah, I I was like, holy, like you can probably do with half to a quarter yeah. of these and yeah. still get the point. Yeah. So that was one issue, and I really didn't find Jamie Fox that charismatic. No. Like, like he's a decent actor. It's yeah. just I don't think he's. I don't know. He to me, he's not at the same level as some of these other. Actors. I agree. I don't know if I could think of anybody in that time frame off yeah. the top of my head that I would put in that place. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, I still think they probably could have found somebody better. Yeah, definitely. Um, so those might. So I, I'm not. I, I too don't glorify it. It's yeah, not, it's not high on my yeah. list either. You yeah. might be surprised to hear that. But yeah, it's yeah. high on a lot of people's though. But it's yeah, like, it's, yeah, it's not. Yeah, I totally agree. Um, what's your number eight? Uh, this might also be a bit of a controversial hateful eight. Oh, interesting. Okay, yeah. okay. You weren't, weren't a big fan. Uh, not really. I, the whole stuck in the same room thing. Yeah. I don't know. I, I need a little bit more. Mm. Um, and that that's that's just personal. Um, you know the, I like I liked the character development. Everybody in it does a really good job. Like the performances. I love Samuel Jackson. So you know anything he's in, I'm gonna watch. But uh, yeah, I just it just didn't hit with me i i yeah. watched it literally once when it came out on netflix i think it was and yeah that was it for me I yeah i think it's a little higher on my list but just because i probably for the opposite reason i like that pr- idea of the premise uh, i like the idea of putting characters in one room and making them stay there but yeah it makes sense that because that's made the main conceit they're pretty much there the whole yeah, time yeah. so if if you're not on board for that it's not going to work for you yeah. um my number eight is death proof 
So similar reasons for you. I've seen it twice. Um, and I just, you know, it wasn't very memorable for, to me. I do enjoy parts of it. Unlike Django, I felt like it was more I could finish it. Yeah. And I was still at least like into it. And actually, my number seven similar in that way. is like it, it, it was just like I could finish it and I didn't feel that need to like stop. Um, but again, Death Proof, I didn't think it, it was quite good. However, I thought Kurt Russell was very, very good in that movie. Yeah, and that's when I was starting to talk about. It. That was the first thing I thought of. Was, oh yeah, yeah. Kurt Russell. Kurt Russell. Yeah. So he yeah. was definitely the most memorable yeah. part of it for me too. Yeah. So death proofs my number eight. So what's seven for you? Uh, Django. Django. There you go. So I yeah okay. That's a that's I thought you would be higher on your list. So there you go. That makes sense. Yeah. Um, for me, number seven is both Kill Bills. So this is now we're turning into the middle ground. So to me, Death Proof and Django are closer to each other. We're like eh, I don't really like it, but I like parts of Death Proof. Kill Bill Volume 1 and 2, just like my my sixth and my fifth picks, are all in the middle because they're just middle ground movies to me. I, I like them as a set more so than individually. I remember liking the first Kill Bill movie, but being like, oh, but like, I don't know, like, it's kind of weird. I'm like, so, so on it. And then when I saw the second one, I was like, man, like, this is okay. But then when I watch them as a pair, yeah. it, it makes them better. Yeah. So I liked that he kind of teams, teams them up and thought it was a longer story. Um some of the soundtrack does really annoy me though and really you gets to me. That, yeah. Really annoys me and I just I can't stand it. But to me it's number seven, but it's not as low as Death Proof and Django. Like I would put it in my category of middle ground movie. It, lots of things I enjoyed out of it. Uma Thurman's performance for sure, but uh, I put the both Kill Bills in number seven. All right. Um my number six, You're on six yeah. is Jackie Brown. Jackie Brown, okay. Um I watched this movie really young like when it first came out um my grandparents had the movie network so i watched a lot of movies at their house when i was younger um, and uh, i watched this and I remember not really liking it mm. i was just too young to get it i think um and then when we when we talked about doing this this uh episode i re- went back and rewatched it and i i did like it but um similar to my issues with um once upon a time it's just really long it's, it a, is it's it's almost three hours long. Yeah. There's probably about 45 minutes of the movie you could probably cut out. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, but uh, I really liked, um, again, everybody's performance in it. Like um, Robert De Niro plays a very unlike Robert De Niro mm-hmm. character. He's very like uncharismatic, yeah. you know, does a lot of drugs and, you know, it's just unlike him. So I really liked seeing that. Um, and then Samuel Jackson, Samuel Jackson. Samuel Jackson's I great in that I love movie. Him. Yeah, yeah really I really like. I, and yeah, Jackie Brown's a little higher for me, but probably mainly because it's Samuel uh, Jackson. But a, a similar thing to Once Upon a Time is that it feels like there's this big lead up. Yeah. And then the last like the half an hour is sort of the the meat of the yeah. movie. Yeah. And again, there's nothing wrong with that. Um, but it, it it definitely paced itself to me a little bit better than Once mm-hmm. Upon a Time. But mm-hmm. yeah, it it just. Yeah, it just it needs to be in the middle for yeah. me. Yeah, okay. And my number six is actually Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. So I put it right at the middle. There's five more of his movies that I like just a little bit better, but I kind of agree. My next few actually kind of are similar again to Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, but I liked it a little better than The Kill Bills, but uh, not much. So num- number six for me, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. And that's my number five. There you go, Once <laughs> number five. Um, my number five is The Hateful Eight. So what I liked about the movie and why it's kind of really in the middle for me is I thought The Hateful Eight, I like that premise of putting together. And again, I actually 
didn't like the end of the movie, The Hateful Eight, as much as I liked the middle of it. Yeah. But because the middle's so strong, Samuel Jackson's great. Um, Kurt Russell's great. Um, I think that there's a lot of really cool things going on in there. Um, yeah, so for me, Hateful Eight just edges out Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, but is my number, my number five. Okay, now, so we're in the top four. So each of our top four um, Tarantino movies, what's number four for you? Uh, four for me is Glorious Bastards. There you go. Yeah. Um, just a, it's such an entertaining movie. Yeah. And, yeah. you know, like you, we were talking about how, you know, rewrites history, it, but in, in the way that you want it to be. Like, yes. You know, screw the Nazis. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and know? in a way that, like, doesn't center around a specific event, you know? They yeah. didn't take a specific event that everybody knows everywhere and change. But, yeah. yeah. Yeah, no. and again, um, everybody's great in it. Uh, it actually sort of reignited my love of Brad Pitt. Mm. I kind of went through, not that I was ever like, oh my God, Brad Pitt, but it just was like, oh yeah, like he's a good actor. Yeah. You know, and I, yeah. I started to pay more attention to the stuff that he did after that movie. Seeing Brad Pitt in a Tarantino me- movie made me kind of go, oh, interesting. Like other actors who have a certain prestige to them also want to do Tarantino yeah, movies yeah. you know like it was starting to because I think this wasn't that just Inglorious Bastards came out before Django yes yeah so to me even though I'd seen like some of his stuff it was like oh like here here when then when DiCaprio and Jamie Foxx did Django it's like oh here are like the big stars now starting to work in Tarantino which I you know thought was interesting yeah um number four for me is Jackie Brown um I put it ahead of Once Upon a Time in Hollywood for actually something that you brought up Builds in a similar way, but I thought the execution at the end was better. Yeah, I thought they, I thought it was a more complete movie. Again, I agree; like it could be shorter, um, but Samuel Jackson, incredible in that movie, and yeah, I just for me it's for me it's number four. Um, I really enjoyed it. Okay, number three, Uh, Reservoir Dogs. We have the same number three, so I'll just reveal that right now. Uh, Number three is Reservoir Dogs. Yeah, (laughs) yeah, Um, great movie. It really is. I the first time I, I actually watched this movie really late. Uh, even though it's one of his first ones, uh, or maybe it is his first one, isn't it? I think it's either, yeah, I think it's his first or it's his second. Because he had that, check that weird one that the my best friend's birthday or something like that, but it, he doesn't count that. No, because it was such a... Yeah. So anyway, so I think it's officially his first. But uh, yeah, I actually watched this maybe for the first time eight years ago. Um, I was working a night shift at my job and had the opportunity to watch a movie and put this one on. And because I was at work, I didn't get to pay attention as much to it as I would have liked to. Mm. Um, so I, when we again discussed that we're going to do this, I rewatched it and I really liked it. Um, I liked his that it's centered around like this sort of 20 or 30 minutes and it gets everybody's perspective on it. Yeah. Yeah. That was really cool. Yeah. So Reservoir Dogs came out in 92 and that was his first movie after, yeah, my best friend's birthday, which he doesn't count. Um, And then Pulp Fiction was two years later in 94. So that, that kind of kicked things Um, off. uh, Yeah. The only thing that I have a complaint about, and it's, it's clearly just because it was his first movie was the dialogue was a little hard to follow at times. Mm. He kind of, He's perfected this over the course of his movies, but he kind of has his own lingo. He does. And it in that one, it just seemed it wasn't, you know, perfected yet, which makes sense because yeah. it was his first movie. So it was a little hard to follow at times yes. for me, yeah. but I felt it still deserves to be in the top three. And the thing is, is I to me, it's one of those movies that on a rewatch, I notice things a little bit better and I appreciate mm-hmm. it more, which to me is a mark of a good movie that it stands the test of rewatches. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that's why, for pretty much a lot of the same reasons you just brought up, that's kind of why 
I put it at number three as well. So there you go, number three. Okay, our top two. So what's number two for you? My number two is Kill Bill. Okay, that's what I thought. I thought I was looking. Okay, where is he going with this? I yeah. think it's probably yeah. Um, and it's funny because um, I like this movie because of how ridiculous it is. <laughs> it is ridiculous. It's yeah, very yeah. ridiculous. Um, yeah, like it, everything about it is ridiculous, and that's why I like it. And it, I like how um, it's all about revenge. Yeah, you know, like straight off the bat, it's you know I'm gonna kill all these people, and then that's exactly she goes down this list. Yeah. Um, lots of great people in it. Um, I love Michael Madsen. Mm-hmm. He's one of my favorite actors and because of Tarantino movies. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Which he also has a small little cameo. And he does. Time, yeah. He's, I was like, he's yeah. in there. Yeah. I, I was like the one clapping. Yeah. He's there. Um, <laughs> so yeah. So I, I loved him. I even really liked, uh, uh Carradine as Bill. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> there's something about his voice that just totally yeah. did that character yeah. well. Yeah, well, it, it made it him more menacing and yeah. more of a threat Yeah, because of the voice, yeah. Um, I, I think that I agree with you where the first one was a really good build-up and mm-hmm. then the second one, it kind of falls a little yeah. flat. Yeah, yeah. But I kind of forgive that because I loved everything to the build-up of, yeah. of to, to, to yeah. the list up until Bill. Um, yeah. And, and I think if you do right. yeah. watch it as a back-to-back, though, it yeah. does yeah. flow better yes. if you watch it right back-to-back. As opposed yeah. to, I think it came out years later. Like, it wasn't... Is it two or three? Yeah. yeah, like, it wasn't right away. And I feel like that, as a as a connector, that it's good to watch them back-to-back. Yeah, and it was it was neat that... It was a neat concept to have a, a, a sequel that's a direct continuation of the movie yeah which is doesn't happen a whole lot and it's kind of it's an interesting way of doing things yeah Um, my number two is pulp fiction um only only within the past few years have have i actually watched this movie and it was with you um should i I tell the story yeah tell the story yeah go ahead all right so um mike and i used to live together so we've been friends Mm -hmm. quite a long time so about eight years ago or so we were living together and um Mike is not a big partier and he doesn't go out a whole bunch. So our thing when we were to hang out was to watch movies. Mm-hmm. And we did this quite a bit since we were on the same roof. So we went through our Netflix queues pretty quick. Oh, yeah. And this was really before even, even though, say, eight years ago. But it was before you had a lot of other options. There wasn't really Crave. There wasn't a lot of things. Yeah. That, it's really Netflix and cable. Yeah. That's what you had. Or your DVD collection. Which exactly. Which have watched a million times. Yeah. yeah. So we were down to pretty much the, the bottom of the barrel. And we both realized that as we were both theater guys, had not seen Burlesque. So we're like, okay, well, it we'll give it a makes shot. Sense. We'll give it a shot. Not a bunch of high hopes. Put it on, and it was a pretty big piece of crap. Um, well, so much so that, like, the reason we, like, about 20 minutes into the movie, we kind of started just chatting and yeah, talking about yeah, other things. Yeah, so we definitely weren't all that into it. No. And I don't know what was said. There was Someone some said reference. There was a reference in the movie. Is there? Okay, maybe that's what yeah. It was. Th- so there was something that happened in the movie, and you went on. It, it referenced you to something, and yeah. then you started talking about something that led to Pulp Fiction. Yeah. Okay. Yes. So I said a quote from the movie, and Mike looks at me with a blank face, and I'm like, "Dude, Pulp Fiction," and he's like, "I've never seen that movie," and I looked at him for what I thought was about five minutes, probably realistically about thirty seconds, and I went. What the hell are we doing watching burlesque if you've never seen Pulp Fiction before? And I remember being like, I don't know, like, why is it a big deal? Like, I, like, I had no 
I was idea of Pulp Fiction. I, I think I, I picked up the remote. Turned oh, the you TV, turned it off uh, immediately. Threw the remote, <laughs> went into my room, got my copy of Pulp Fiction. It's and like, we, we're watching this right yeah, now. Yeah, we put we put on Pulp Fiction. <laughs> Uh, and it was great. Like it was yeah. really enjoyable. And again, I, I'll admit that up until really the eight years ago that I watched Pulp Fiction, I wasn't a huge Quentin Tarantino fan. I'd seen most of these movies, but not all of them. Yeah. And I started to find the other ones after Pulp Fiction, but yeah, it was really good. I, I thought the characters are great. The way it does something different with narrative was really great. Um, all the actors were really good. And again, this, this was an example of a movie that, built different storylines, built different things that were going on and culminated in a way that worked. Yeah. yeah. Um, so all yeah, within the like same universe. Yeah. They're all sort of intermingled. Yeah. They don't really know it. They don't know all this other stuff's happening. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's just all around great movie. Yeah. 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 So Pulp Fiction, uh, big fan of that. It's my, it's my number two. And then obviously that's my number one. There's your number one. <laughs> Pulp Fiction. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah. I, uh, it's, it, I, I don't even, I can't remember the first time I saw it. Um, I was probably about 11 or 12, probably a little younger than I should have been mm-hmm. to watch it. But, and, um, I was, I was like, I, would, I was in awe. I was like, wow, this is a great movie. And I've probably watched it like 20 times. Yeah. yeah. And can continue to keep watching it. Everybody yeah. in it is amazing. Um, oh, oh, again, like a Bruce Willis is in it randomly. Everybody was kind of like nodding their head at like, whoa, what's he doing? In this? Yeah. Yeah. But, it fits and does yeah. such a you know he, yeah. he, he he does such a great job in it. Even the the um, the love interest of his, um, I, I don't know even who she is, what her actress name is, but it's like the only thing I've ever seen her in. How innocent she is mm-hmm. to everything, the, mm-hmm. like even just to the world, not yeah. just what's going on around her, but yeah. just she just seems so, so innocent. Yeah, I was like, oh wow, like you really like yeah. feel for her and stuff. Yeah. But yeah, yeah, definitely, definitely my top. My number one um, is Inglorious Bastards. Mm. Um, really like that movie. I really like for me Inglorious Bastards, Pulp Fiction, Reservoir Dogs. Like my top three, I can take any of them anytime. I, I think that uh, you know Inglorious Bastards was again. I really like plot in movies, as people know, and I like strong characters. And I felt like this had it. It had a very clear purpose for what the characters each needed to do, and it all again culminated like. Tarantino does do generally very well at the end with everyone kind of at the same place trying to accomplish the same goal. Um, yeah, I really liked it. Uh, and I and that was the first time that I saw, um, oh, the name of the actor who plays the the creepy Nazi guy who's been in so many things. Oh, uh, Christoph Waltz? Yeah, Christoph Waltz. Oh. It was the first time I saw Christoph Waltz. And I felt like that kind of the way he is to me as an actor fits – Tarantino's villains so perfectly um so it really just I don't know it just worked for me in every way I know you didn't like Django but did you like him in yeah I thought he was good in Django uh, again like I'm not you know he he's very good um some of the performances in Django are, are good yeah uh it's just for whatever reason I just can't get on board with the movie um and I can't get through it but yeah I I did enjoy him in Django I actually realized today as I said I watched a little bit of Django mm-hmm. this morning uh that Carrie Washington is in that which oh. is the girl from scandal yeah yeah where yeah, she's the she's the wife of Django. oh i didn't yeah. recognize that's her i as soon as i, I saw the name on yeah. the credits i was like oh yeah that yeah. is her but yeah <laughs> I, I, that floored me too yeah yeah so it's, yeah. it's weird how you insert sort of yeah. these people in and you're just like you know them but you kind of forget that they're in yeah. his, his movies yeah so let's run down our list just from one to nine again we'll just read the titles out so people have so this is my list of of my uh tarantino movies number one 
My favorite, Inglorious Bastards. Number two, Pulp Fiction. Number three, Reservoir Dogs. Number four, Jackie Brown. Number five, The Hateful Eight. Number six, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Number seven, The Kill Bills. Number eight, Death Proof. And nine, Django Unchained. And then for me, uh, number one, Pulp Fiction. Uh, number two, The Kill Bills. Number three, Reservoir Dogs. Number four, Inglorious Bastards. Number five, Once Upon a Time in uh, not Mexico. He is in that though. <laughs> he is in that, yeah. Uh, yeah. Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Um, Jackie Brown for number six. Django Unchained for number seven. Hateful Eight for number eight, which is funny because it's got eight in it. Yeah. And Death Proof for number nine. Um, do you agree with our lists? Do you have lists of your own? Let us know um, what you think. Uh, Comment on social media, send us an email, whatever you'd like. Definitely, we like when people engage with the with the podcast. So feel free to send us your lists as well. Um, and uh, I'll make sure, uh, Andrew, make sure you send me those that list. We'll post them both on social media once the podcast comes out so people know our, um, our rankings and people can kind of join in the conversation. Um, that pretty much brings us to the end. Anything else you just want to say about Quentin Tarantino? Like, are you excited to see what his 10th? film is going to be and if it is going to be star trek because i am excited to see it um i know you're a huge star trek nerd i'm sorry but if it is that i'm going to be a little disappointed yeah no i i Um, will not disagree with you actually i I don't personally think his vision for what he wants to do with star trek fits with it i'd Mm. love to see him as a writer do something with star trek i don't know though still if it makes sense. I would like to see it, but I don't want it to be included in his 10th. No, I, I feel like he should do another original film in yeah. two to three years, and that should be his 10th film. I don't know where this Star Trek thing has come from or what it is. Yeah, it's a little odd. I was hoping it would just be a, I'm writing it, and I'm going to hand it off to J.J. Abrams. Yeah. Then at least another filmmaker can do different things to it, but he um, he recently said that, no, this is going to be Pulp Fiction, but in space. I just It doesn't work for Star Trek. No. It doesn't work for it. Why not? Why not make your original space thing yeah like yeah. you know you remember the tv show firefly yeah yeah why doesn't he just do his own version of that like it's it's cowboys in space it's yeah. it's a space adventure that he can write and do his own things with i don't know why he now the guy who's been so about original movies and the purity of film why would he now grab a established ip and want to do something with it <laughs> yeah. it doesn't make any sense it to really me doesn't know um so anyway, we'll see what happens with that. Hopefully he does his own original movie as his 10th because he said he only wanted to ever make 10 films and that was it. Um, so we'll see if he does do that. But you're sure as heck not going to get those Apple cigarettes in Star Trek because they don't <laughs> smoke and that wouldn't make any sense. So I don't know how he's going to make that work. Um, but anyway, yeah, that's uh, we'll see what happens with Tarantino next, I guess. Well, thanks, Andrew, for joining us once thanks again. Um, uh, as usual, everyone, uh, feel free to uh, to comment. Let us know what you think about this podcast or others. Just a couple of reminders. We still have another episode of Screening in Kingston that was just released this week where Taylor and I do some non-spoiler chat about Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. But we also reviewed the movie Maiden, which is a documentary. Um, so you can go download that now, um, as well as I did a quick 20-minute review of the new MCU Phase 4 announcement that came out of Comic-Con. That's available as a podcast right now. Um, otherwise, uh, hopefully you uh, enjoyed this and enjoyed the the chat about Quentin Tarantino. Let us know what you thought about Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Um, otherwise, uh, go go see some movies.